0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. Morning, Jess. Morning, Cody. <laughs> Cody's been waiting. So again. Cody's been waiting, we're late for him.
1: Oh really, sorry about that.
0: All <laughs> right, let's kick on. Um, <clears throat> great question. How can we excel in small group training, lead gen and marketing?
1: um honestly the same way that you would excel for one-to-one coaching it's the same like you're selling coaching but your core offer is small group training so like help people understand what that is i think that's going to be a big thing i had this debate yesterday with a bigger company about this is is like people don't know what it is that doesn't mean to say that you need to list all of its features and all of that type of stuff it just means to say that give people behind the scenes view if you've got an opportunity to do that um like help people understand it as much as you possibly can but in general like you're marketing lead generating coaching that's what you're doing the the only difference with small group pt and one to one group that uh, one to one pt is the fact that there's more people within that 45 minutes hour of a session so The coaching, the core offer is exactly the same. So your lead generation and marketing should be the same. So it should be directed towards the market that you want to attract. It should be in the areas that then people go. The message should be around the same problems. So like, obviously you'll know your market better than I will. So like how, what their frustrations are, their fears, are their challenges, their barriers, uh, why they want to change, how they think, feel, hear, say, do, all of that empathy map type stuff. Make sure that your message is getting across. And um, whilst, as I said a minute ago, making sure that small group training is being articulated well, like people start to understand what it is, that it is ticking the box of more access because it is more accessible. It, it, it does re- it help people with a higher level of frequency for a more reasonable price. So do get that across within your message as well. Um And then, yeah, just everything else you would land exactly the same as you would do from a one-to-one coaching perspective. But once you've got that core group of clients going through small group training, let people understand what that is as much as possible. Give them the -the behind-the-scenes view. Let the people within that business talk about what it is um, so they can articulate it to people on their level as well. So that's all I would say. It would be the slight difference. Anything you'd add?
0: No, no, I'd agree. The only thing I would maybe add in there is about, you know, if you're doing a lead, a marketing campaign, lead magnet, make it, try and and gear it towards something around a group. So whether it's curating a Facebook group, whether it's doing some small little ad hoc sessions in the gym for that challenge campaign, lead magnet, whatever it is. And obviously that suits... Um, people getting to know each other before they come in, especially if you're starting out, starting out doing it.
1: I really like this next question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The pressure is on to answer it well. If you were going from no a pressure. commercial gym, never any pressure. I'll start again because you just rudely really interrupted, you right. fucking prick. Um, if you were going from a commercial to a private gym, how do you know when would be the right time? What are the considerations? And if you're inept, in, in a position to do so,
0: first answer is it's probably never going to feel the right time um it's never going to feel kind of completely all your ducks in a row so to speak so um first thing i wouldn't wait particularly for a specific time but saying that ideally some considerations would be things like um obviously when you go move away from a commercial gym you're moving away from a pool of relatively easy, accessible um, leads in a market. So, you know, the one thing that you're losing when you move from a commercial to a private gym is the marketing lead generation side of things. So some of the key considerations and markers would be, do I understand, first of all, how I've generated my current business? Um, Are there elements of that I can replicate with not having this pool of of client or potential clients on the gym floor um some things i would um so marking that down and looking into your obviously social media looking into uh having a presence online um a google business profile um making sure that you can be found easily is going to be really really key so setting those types of things up and um doing a free one through Google sites you know if you want to just get a landing page up there I think that's going to be important um so that's an insight into your business the next thing is the other considerations moving into a private facilities is absolutely diving into your local community and ticking as many boxes as you can from a perspective of creating awareness and networking so, yeah, those would be the key considerations um, when moving from commercial to a private gym, in my opinion. Anything to add to that, Anthony?
1: Listen, the only thing that I would add is that most cases, a lot of PTs do it off ego and no, no context and no, um, no evidence, no proof, no network, no market. Or anything like that, they just dive into it because they're either pissed off with a commercial gym, probably maybe increasing their rent or something like that, or that they feel that they're better than a commercial gym. So in a lot of cases, it is literally done on ego. um And I would say that if you haven't got a network of leads, all that stuff that Nick just said, but if you haven't got a network of consistent leads coming in, and you can't get, and you haven't currently got that from a commercial gym, then you're all, you're always going to struggle in a private facility unless you really up your marketing game. Um, that's all I would add to it.
0: Um, I'm going to take one off the group here. What prices to charge for semi-private training? One to two, one to two to two, one to two to two, or one to one.
1: One to two or one to one.
0: Yeah. So, what would what prices to yeah. charge for semi-private training? One to two compared to one to one normal stuff.
1: I think when, you, when you're when you coaching two people, like in a semi-private setting, I, I don't see it being much difference in price than one-to-one, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Mike, Mike, Nick might uh, – and he called you Mike, then. Who the fuck's Mike? Who the fuck is Mike? Yes, uh, yeah, Nick might disagree, but I, I, I genuinely don't think it should be much different from the price that you're charging for one-to-one. Um, I don't see how you could justify it being less. Like, I know you might say splitting the cost, but then that's splitting the cost of the hour of PT. Like they're they're getting the same type of programming from you, same level of coaching. Like they're probably hopefully getting the same service away from you. I I would argue that it it, it wouldn't be any cheaper than, than your one-to-one coaching price. That's just my opinion. Um, I think if, it'd have to be – see, what you need to do here, if you are going to adjust your pricing, is that find a sweet spot between – so the way we explain small group training pricing to in small group training is anything from three to six people, in our opinion, right? And the way we describe that is that whatever your one-session-a-week service is now, right? So whatever you're delivering from a one-session-a-week service, that's probably your two-session-a-week price for small group training, Um And whatever your two session a week is for one to one PT is your free session a week price for small group training. That's a good guide to go off for small group PT. So then, if I'm delivering it to two people, maybe I would find a sweet spot between one to one coaching and small group training and find a price between that point. It'd be really difficult for me to say it should be this price or a range of this price, Uh, but it'd be close to one to one in my opinion. What do you think, Nick?
0: I'd agree. I'd agree. I think. You know, um, the, and I think one of the things to have a think about as well, more so, is is this a service you are you want to build in your business, or is this a is this a service that you're adapting for two people who have walked up to you and said, "Can we split the cost?" Yeah. Um, so if that's the case, um, I would genuinely think about. I would generally think about kind of the um the opportunities there and why you're doing it um but i would agree with i'd genuinely agree with Ann um on that i think once you get three four people the cost starts to be um compared to your one-to-one the cost starts to be altered slightly um but there's, there's lots of caveats to that but yeah that's what that's what i'd say
1: um any suggestions for aftercare once a client leaves, finishing with a long-term client due to circumstance rather than her being ready to go along and want to give her the best chance moving forward. She's not ready for a new PT yet. And I don't think online will work for her. I think it says at the end. Yeah. 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 will work for her.
0: Uh Great question. I think have the conversation, have just have, have the conversation because we could throw out a load of different stuff like, you know, keep her in a Facebook group. Um, you know, to get continue the check ins with her. Um, get her on a call every month. Keep her on your emailing list. Um, set up her with a mini program. Um, give her a chance to um review once you, you know. What I mean, there's so many different things that you we could kind of throw out there, but I think the really key thing here is go into that situation on on offboarding that that client in a in a really um curious way. So exactly the same how you'd set her up coming into the business. Like be curious about what she's what would really, really help her, what the challenges she for, can foresee over the next couple of months. Um, and provide, I, I'd say provide with that, you know, obviously you're not going to be training a one-to-one, but you know there's no drama giving her a, you know, a mini program or keep her in the face your client Facebook group or um include her on your client emails or or setting a time up to have a little check-in with her every couple of weeks or something so it's all going to come off the back of having a conversation at the end of the day because there's lots of stuff we could, we could suggest but that's what i would say is have that off-boarding kind of session with her um find out how you can help her uh, in the meantime while she can't train and yeah help her um, oh, a bit of a long one, this. if you have not been marketing an offer for your services for quite a bit and would like to get three to six one-to-one clients in the next six weeks with no gym floor traffic available how would you go about it step by step considering you had your target market and offer nailed down and ready might be a bit of a long one or too long to go through that's okay also no putting together. Yeah, let we think. Yeah, brilliant sound.
1: There you go. Okay, so how to get fat? It, essentially, it looks as like online and local marketing, then, yeah. Um, looking at this, so if there's not a hell of a lot of gym floor traffic, it's online and local, and then people who you've got right now. So, I, first of all, I'd look if we need some clients as quick as possible, I would look inside the business, first of all, of what can you get from the clients that you've already got. So how can you put a referral scheme in place? How can you get them to recommend people? What can you do to put an offer on for current in business referrals? Because at the end of the day, word of mouth is the strongest piece of marketing that you'll ever get. So I would concentrate on building something out there to explore that avenue. Next bit um, I would look at is what are the channels that I've got that I want to work with from an online perspective? So where am I market? So are they predominantly on Facebook? Are they predominantly on Instagram? And I would go all in on one of them. Okay. Cause splitting your time between two and maximizing both of them is going to be really time consuming. So I would go all in on one of them. And what I would do is clearly provide consistent content that cuts through the bullshit that's everyone else is putting out there. So straight to the demographic, what they want, need, all of that empathy map-based stuff that we've talked about in the program in the course. So really cut through with consistent content. But then what I would also do is because it sounds like you may be up against time slightly, I would then make sure that I am um, any new people who like or follow me or anything like that, I would then go and interact with them. So just thanks so much for a like, thanks so much for a comment, thanks so much for a follow just reaching out to see what it is that you would need a little bit more support with or what content I can put out to help you engage in a two-way conversation. I would follow all of the people within your demographic that are on your social media channels and I would interact and engage with them people about general day-to-day stuff like they were on the gym floor and you were talking about, I don't know how shit the web has been or whatever. So I would interact, I would separate time in your day to start to interact with people within your demographic. So it looks as though you care, you're reaching out to people, all of that. I would 100% be proactive with that because it sounds like, again, you could do with a little bit more engaging with onla- from an online presence perspective to drag people into the gym. I would then, the third bit I would say is that I would be really, really clear on what your offer is. So it, it sounds like if it's one-to-one, then just drive one-to-one. Don't bother about uh, any low barrier program or anything like that. You might put together a little bit of a lead magnet um, that drags people in, but I wouldn't bother about a low, low barrier, a seven day, a 10 day, a 14 day and all of that type of stuff. Just drive one to one coaching, right? Keep the message really simple. If you're going to be consistent, if you're going to interact and engage with people within their messages and all of that type of stuff, then it, it, your offer needs to be clear. Um, and then my last point that I would say on this is make it very, very, very clear and obvious on all of your social media pages or whatever one that you're driving your message into, where people can go to apply, to register, to fill out a pre-consult, to book a call, make it double clear. So like people, when people land on your page, they can go and go, right, okay, I've, I like that post, I like the what he's done here, he's interacted with me, right, where do I go, right, it says it there, okay, and make it clear and obvious. So that would be my advice. Um, You may want to do something in a local area. I don't know what it's like in and around the gym to drag people in. So maybe you do a workshop, you do a seminar, and you do one of them a weekend for the next three or four weeks um, to drive traffic to you as your specific lead magnet. But I would dominate in business, client referral. I would dominate one platform. I would interact with people as much as possibly uh, you you can possibly can, especially with your market. Um, and then maybe bring people from the local area to the gym for a specific workshop webinar or whatever it is that you want to put on anything you'd add. No. <laughs> um, right. What are our tips for conducting small group training sessions in peak hours when the gym is packed? How can we make these sessions extra special and high quality for the clients?
0: Um, <laughs> I, I think it's you that makes it extra special. There's there's quirky things that you and gimmicky things that I could throw at you, but end of the day the way that you control the group, the way you lead the group, the way you engage the group is that's what's gonna make things special um you getting them engaged with each other that's that's the biggest thing um I think from a perspective of like how can you conduct a small group training session when the gym is busy I think it's having a really good understanding of of what your objective is of that particular training phase that's the first thing like any, I could throw a load of different stuff at you you, could, you know and it's common sense from going from having different pieces of equipment, um, et cetera, et cetera, but I think it's actually having a really clear aim on what the the objective is of that training phase, Um, because then it's going to allow you to kind of still have that focus of what the stimulus is of that session Um, and then move through continuums or adjust different exercises. So... I know that hasn't given you something really, really specific, but I really do think that's the key thing because if you're going in there and you haven't got a kind of a macro plan that you're following or a training phase that you're following for your group, that's what makes it hard. That's what makes it really conflicting and um, confusing on what to do and when to do it. And the only other couple of things I would start to kind of focus around it as well at peak times is... Um, pairing the group up so they're working so generally it's a kind of you go i go situation so obviously that needs less kit um also having a bit more of a competitive environment within that as well um and and doing stuff that is focused more like a lot more on performance um to give them the feedback to give them the competitive edge to give them that kind of camaraderie in there as well so I think those things are really key things that will, number one, um, help you in smaller, well, environments where it's really, really busy and you can't get to the most ideal kit in your own time, which let's be honest, you're never going to have that in any commercial gym. Um, and also things that are going to make things higher quality. And I think that's the extra the extra special stuff. Like what you're delivering, should you don't need to do extra special stuff. You should just be living a fantastic customer service, in my opinion. Anything else, Anthony? Anthony? Anthony?
1: Anything else? No, I think that's it. I think it's just sometimes a good challenge to have. Um, yeah, and it, it does relate back to how you're programming, not overcomplicating that programming. That's it.
0: Thanks so much. No props. Um, I've had an online client ask me if they can basically dip in and out of my online coaching service, e.g., have three months of coaching, uh, then have a few months off and then pick up where we left off. What would your advice? What would you advise to say to this person?
1: Um I would have to understand would the three months and then them having time away get them to where they need and want to be. Um, so if I'm confident and they're confident that we can build a kind of a service where they we, we get them to where they want to be within three months and then they go away and apply some stuff on their own and maybe come back in if they need me, then then yeah, I don't see why not, but it very much depends on the person. If this person, if you've done a needs analysis and you've sat down and you've started to map out what they need versus, as well as what they want um, and you've started to map out from your like kind of experience and knowledge of them that they need longer than three months to get them where they want to be, then I would argue then that they're not going to potentially achieve the results that that, that person needs. So yeah, it's really hard to, to say because I don't know the person. Um, but from the outside looking in, I, I wouldn't see that as a massive problem. Um, and I would, my aim would be if the clear aim for the client is, to get results within three months and give them the tools to go off on their own and be able to apply that, then I I don't see why that you couldn't do that. Um, Yeah, that would be my advice. What you don't want is someone going into your business, achieving a transformation or decent levels of results, then going fucking it all up and then coming back. And yeah, I'm just not sure that I'd be comfortable with that. But again, I'd need to know a little bit more context to it. Um, But it depends on the needs of the person. Always keep that in mind. Um, would you recommend following people similar to your target market on socials rather than just always, always other coaches? So fill in a business page with people that I want to help so that if I can see their stresses, struggles, and frustrations, I can use uh, – one sec. So I can use it to help create content, if i think that says.
0: A million percent.
1: Yeah, like this is a big thing right now.
0: Million percent. It's um, if anything, you shouldn't, in my opinion, you shouldn't be following many coaches on your business page. Um, yeah, it, more often than not, it leads to naturally comparing yourself to or your business or your service or to your content or whatever to other coaches. Um, it gives a false window into the industry massively which can make you feel like shit sometimes. Um, You're actually never going to be word. That's never your market to bring into your business. And so, but your content will be affected by the fact that people, your peers are on your pages and can see your content. That'll affect what you put out and how you put out. So you'll, you'll have this kind of constant conflict of talking to them, to get to feel, um, it might be an ego thing to feel like you 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 know you can you know what you're talking about. Um, it might be to appease other people to get you know industry confirmation. Um, and it will never work. It will never kind of um, help in regards to actually talking to your audience. So personally. Only because, it might sound a bit extreme, but only because this is something that we literally talk to trainers about every single day, um, is audit your social media, audit your business social media down to the people who are actually going to be buying off you at some point um, and who you want to work with, not peers, follow peers and whatnot on other accounts, your personal accounts, whatever, but your business is your business. So that I would strongly advise that.
1: Yeah, and I think the only thing that I would add to this, like, as I said before, like if you're using social media as uh, one of your main mediums to interact with people, like it's the same as the gym floor. Like you have to look as though you care and give a shit and you have to interact and engage with people. And this is the thing I think where, Where I don't like, and Nick doesn't like, that whole cold DMing and all of that, we think that's a bag of bullshit. Um, But when people are putting, I don't know, stories up or pictures up of their dogs, their kids, their nights out, their weekends, their meals, it's so easy to interact and engage and look as though you care. It's that type of stuff and build a relationship that way. And then from there, you can start to ask them questions. What content do they want to see? So, yeah, a million percent. This is where most PTs go wrong with social media, in my opinion um yeah i just echo what nick said like this is definitely something that pt has got to get better at next question nicholas please
0: any tips and advice for my first ever nutrition talk will be my first ever public speaking
1: who's asked that question i think
0: it's um
1: don't just in case he wants to stay anonymous ah okay well first of all yeah first of all from your social media content um, my first bit of advice was going to be don't take yourself too, too, too seriously. Like, I think that's the first bit. I think, and you from your social media content, you absolutely don't, um, which is brilliant. I think don't take yourself too seriously. You want to create an environment like, yes, dependent on your business values and all of that. Um, you want it to be professional and all of that, but you want to create an environment where you can come across very similar to you do to your friends, family and all of that. I think thinking back to God to some of my first ever talks that I did, I was literally shitting myself, but I don't know what I was like. I I don't know what I was scared of. Like if you were to say to me, if you fuck up your words, if you forget a slide, if you forget your content, I genuinely didn't care. Like it's just part of the process. So I just built it up in my head um, to be something that it wasn't. And as soon as you start to reframe your mind and go, right, well, if I do fuck up, then so what? Because everyone fucks up. And um, it's just reframing the mind. And also like, One of the best bits of tips that I had to go and get, I think it was post-Covid. I've been doing talks. We've been doing talks for years. And we went and did our first talk for a Nitrofit event in Edinburgh post-Covid. And I've never been more nervous for a talk. It was fucking weird. And I don't know if it's because of Covid, the effect of that. Two years after it, all of that, I didn't know what to expect. And I built it up. And the first 10 minutes, I was the most nervous I've ever been for any talk in the past 10 years that I've ever done, which was weird seeing as I've done it for so much. And when I've looked at it, it was solely because like, I was so fixed on making sure that there was high levels of value. It was different. It was a different talk. It was instead of us talking information at people, we were asking them to to basically take things down and apply it more or less straight away. And I think I just built it up. And the way I'd seen it was that, is that I was concentrating more on what I felt about me instead of concentrating what the audience was going to get out of it. And I think that's what you've got to think about is it's for them. It's not about you. It's completely for them. Um, So always keep that in mind, like you're delivering them value completely for them. And whatever content that you deliver, it's always, if they take away one point, it's always going to be valuable. Um, Keep it really clear. Keep it really simple. Don't overwhelm them with information. I've done that in the past where we've done loads of slides, loads of points, and there's been multiple four or five points and probably no one can remember any of them. So if these keep to one objective, one or two objectives, keep it really clear and, and the aims really simple. Um, yeah, and yeah, that's genuinely that would be my advice like to, to take away from it. And from your social media content as well, if you can come across in a similar way, like not taking yourself too seriously. Um, knowing your content inside about out will always make you feel more comfortable and confident as well. Um, but apart from that, like you will look back on this one and if you do 10 more and go, bloody hell, that, that could have been a lot better. So just take it with a pinch of salt. Anything you would add on that, Nick? Um,
0: I would say, um, from, yeah, from experience, think what problem kind of solve with this and don't think about this would be nice to put in and this will be nice to put in this would be nice to put in because that's yeah. when you end up with 67 slides to get <laughs> through in, in half an hour <laughs> and people's eyes glaze over after seven minutes and I've done that um so keep it really simple like application over information every day of the week so you're talking to real people. You're talking to general population. Like nutrition, I can go and read a book on and find out what what protein I need, right? But actually, if you address a problem that your market is having, and you talk to them about first of all practically why that problem arises and practically um, how to overcome that, very simply, you'll you'll be onto a winner. Don't overcomplicate it, and don't shove as much information as you can on slides you put a membership
1: yeah do you know what i've been sat at events before where we've done a talk and we put loads of effort into slides and um, points education and all of that we did it at body power and then i've sat someone else's talk who's done that 10 times before and i've sat there thinking this is so obvious this information like it's so basic Like. And all of these are absolutely buzzing off it. And when we were speaking to different people, like, yeah, I remember that talk from today. And it was always the most simplest and the one that we looked at and was like, well, oh, surely everyone knows all of that. But it was that that was landing because they were just simple and they were clear, there was one or two points and they just didn't overwhelm them with information. So yeah, that, <laughs> that would definitely be a takeaway from that. Cool. Um, really good question that actually. I've got a lap. I've got a lap, A lot of laptop-based stuff to do just now. But I'm proper shit at staying focused when I'm sat at a screen. Always have been. Need to be on my feet and busy. Any tips on how to maintain focus? Well, top question.
0: Yeah. First of all, environment. Like. Stand-up desks is a game changer. It really has been for me. Uh, that is a big thing because I can I just feel more active and awake and focused when I'm doing that. When I've got a nice big comfy chair and it's it's there now, I don't use it. I can get too comfy and relaxed and chilled out and whatnot. And I lose, I just get distracted easy. That's the first thing. Um, second thing, remove it, remove distractions, i.e., your phone, get it out of the way. Um, third thing is have an complete clarity and understanding of what you've got to get done. And Sam, oh, sorry. Yeah, I said his name anyway. I think it's him anyway. Um, next, I think it's next week, we've got the the, the scheduling and time management and prioritisation stuff coming back uh, on the modules. So 100% dig into that, because what we go through is, like, basically how to ruthlessly prioritise tasks and get the biggest bang tasks that align with your goal so you haven't got lots of like things that you that are nice to do it's like what do i need and have to do and i think knowing if you're kind of hard to stay focused for a long periods of time then don't try and do that like do short bursts um you know get into a bit of a rhythm and a routine of doing stuff like uh, a really recent example is when we've been putting together content. Is you know, three months ago was ideas. Now revisiting it, re touching up the the slides, running through it on another day, um, adding some content, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and recording on another day, proof proof going, proof viewing it on another day. So literally, usually I try and get that all out at once to get one done, but literally just breaking down bigger tasks into tiny little chunks, as small as you can, even if it's jumping on, doing five minutes of like a video, talking to the camera, right, that's boxed off, cool, right, I'll schedule that later. Um, so I think just getting a bit of a rhythm or routine and and, and find out what, if you find yourself losing, losing focus, then just stop, go and get a breath of fresh air or do something different and come back. Everybody's different in regards to attention span, so um, you just got to be aware of what your limitations are um, and plan accordingly off the back of it, I would say, mate. Hopefully that helps. Next one. Um, where are we now?
1: How do I go about increasing prices? I think it is. Yeah, you
0: can read your own questions. How
1: do I it basically it's how do I go about increasing prices for online coaching by the looks of it? Um do I need to include more than what I'm offering or simply just put the prices up on the current offering, not sure where to start. So even for any types of products or services, when we're looking at putting our price up, we need to have a look at the context as to why. Have our costs gone up within our, in within the business? Is one question you need to ask yourself, because if that's the case, then it's justified as well. Um, Have you added time and effort into the service that wasn't there previously? Um, And if you have, has that yielded better results for clients? Now, all of them three things are the main areas that I would look at focusing on. And if it's a yes to cost, if it's a yes to service and time, if it's a yes to consistent results, that gives you the confidence and context to to put your price up, okay? Um, presenting that to clients, what I would look at is, I would work out the percentage across a month of what you're going to put your price up. Like a lot of PTs do it of, oh, I'm just going to put it up 10 pound. There's no context there. Like start to work out what it what it is. Is it the, the, the percentage? Is it the upskilling? Is it the service? Is it the time? Is it the results? Like what can you put a price on that and look at the percentage increase? And then just... Uh, communicate to clients, give them 30, 60 days notice and probably book them in for a bit of a chat just to say the reasons why it's going up. These are the reasons why and maybe have an alternative product there as well for those clients who may not be able to afford it or don't want to go up. So if I'm an online coach, that might be um, if they've gone from 150 and you take them up to 180 or 200, for example, that might be that they drop into, say, some kind of group training model where they just get programming off you and there's no other services with it. So yeah, that's how I would go about it. Um, normally we overthink this stuff because it makes us uncomfortable. we don't want to lose clients. Um, but look, assess the bigger picture. for every one or two clients that you lose, you probably only need like if you think about it, if you lose two clients, you'll probably only need one client coming in at the different price point to start to cover that to cover that uh, that loss. Um, so yeah, I, they were the step they would be the steps that I, I would, consider um, but just be communi- communicate really clearly give lots of context and if you work it out beforehand and plan it effectively it'll go it'll go as you as you need it to <clears throat> um, if somebody is not the best at posting on social media and making email marketing not only english is second language but simply not that kind of person however good one second this new sheet's pissing me off nick i can't even see the whole question
0: but in person one-to-one slash classes etc how much does this have an impact on the business percentage is anything can be recommended or the same answer you must do it Um, no like if you want to focus all of your time on face to face you can still have an amazing business. Um, and just, you know, social media has only been around for like 13 years, 13, 14 years, something like 2007, 2008, something like that. Um, I was a PT for like seven years before that. So, and, you know, if you've got that captive audience, even if you haven't networking, um, uh, getting into small and local businesses, um, you know, all of that side of thing is good. You can absolutely build a a brilliant business from just doing one to one. So no, you don't have to. Is it a big advantage for you um, if you're doing it right? Yeah, it is a big advantage. Hundred percent. You're just spreading the you're just spreading um, the awareness of you at the end of the day. So I think. Once you get into it, and what once you understand how to kind of create that, I think you'll probably feel differently whether it's email marketing or social media. Because considering English isn't your is your second language, you're probably your grammar and your punctuation is definitely better than mine. Looking at <laughs> looking at how you've typed that, so I mean, maybe maybe that's maybe it's just you're not sure what to write rather than not liking it, but. But um, the answer is you can absolutely have a, a thriving business just doing face-to-face marketing and lead gen, 100%. Um, how would you deliver your offer at the end of a seminar? I think I'm not get, quite getting it.
1: So be clear on what the offer is and then keep the messaging simple. So, for example, if this was the end of my seminar now and go, right, guys, the next step off the back of this is that I'm going to book as many of you as possible in for a bit of a goal setting call and to support you with what to do next of how to apply this information. It's completely free. If you want that, just come to me at the end of the session. We'll get booked in now, or I'm going to send it on an email as well and you can book on, uh, you can book the call there. What that session will be will be goal setting and seeing what it is that you really want and need and how I can help you moving forward. That's That simple. That's how I would keep it. I would say it there, get them to come over, book it in with you there and then, and then mop up with an email for the people who don't book it in there and then. Um, What's been your favourite lead generation activities on the gym floor from experience? Uh, Yeah, answer that one first, Nick. There's two of them. Um,
0: Health checks, BCAs, whatever you want to label it as. Health checks, BCAs. Um,
1: what's a BCA? body composition analysis oh you bosh twat go on yeah well
0: um, so yeah that technique correction um add like ad hoc challenges or, or like little classes um and questionnaires
1: um questionnaires technique correction for me all day of the week into program giveaways that used to be my go-to give people a program and book them back in the next week for a program review how would you market your first month working at a commercial gym
0: uh those four things i just said
1: oh okay look at that hey eh? look at that brilliant right there is one last question in the chat i think where is it where is it mr matthew philip Talbot? Getting busier now, as you guys know. Absolutely you are, mate. Want to drop a shift off to get a bit of time back, then slowly go on to rent. What do you think you need to consider with this?
0: You know you need it. You know what we're about to say. Mm. <laughs> uh, Mr Talbot, you know what you need to do. Share
1: it with the people, Nick.
0: Um Having exactly the same answer to what I um, answered to the first question. So you need to understand your marketing. You need to understand what's brought you to business. You need to be able to repeat that process to a certain degree with a high level of success. Um, So without tracking, without keeping yourself accountable to be doing the things you need to do on the gym floor to generate the business. Um, Dropping an hour is or four hours of going on to rent is absolutely fine but obviously what you start to take away from what has um as well as your hard work has got you to this point is that forced face to face interaction from the shifts so you need to be able to replace that with clarity confidence and conviction and consistency is that three Cs clarity confidence con-
1: Jesus Christ! Uh, have, you been, have you been in one of them Phil grain groups? Groups <laughs> where, where they all practice videos and go bam, bam, bam. They, they have to do that as the confidence, do. clarity, clarity, and... yeah. business, brain, whatever it is. Bullshit. Bullshit. Um, what do you think? So yeah, that's what I'd say,
0: Matthew. And um, the only other thing I would consider is, um. Going along with the marketing is obviously being consistent and and focused around your time management and being accountable uh, and sticking to your time. Um, Yeah, that's it. It's It's a good one today, eh?
1: Very good questions. Very good questions. Enjoyed it. Really good questions. Did I record this? I did, didn't I? Fucking hell. Yeah, I did. See, we've just insulted another mentor again. We'll have to put that on the podcast. Come on, it'll be a waste of words. All
0: right,
1: <laughs> well, oh, ladies and gents, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been fantastic. So, Go on, here, here yeah. You know, well, there's a few things, isn't there? Anderson? This needs a jingle at the end of the podcast, by the way. Your mm-hmm. final thoughts. Um, right. remember Jerry Springer back in the day. Jerry Springer's final thoughts Remember what? Was it? Jerry Springer. we're old as fuck though no one else is going to know what that is nah, nah. Um, Sunday we have round table 7 o'clock it's not very round though is it table. it's not
0: very round it's more of a square thing on the yeah. Uh, 7 o'clock round table next week we have business review session
1: what time did we say Seven, yeah, seven, an hour before the other one. Yeah, seven
0: o'clock on Thursday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Um,
0: and also, uh, we'll put put a post out because we need to arrange a meetup, don't we? And we'll start that another time. So let us know if you got your tickets for. I keep saying project X, don't I? Perform X. Right, see you later.
1: (laughs) That was terrible final thoughts today. Terrible. (laughs) Okay, final thought is... Go
0: on. I'm lucky to be alive today. (laughs) um, I'm an earthquake survivor.
1: (laughs) Wait, survival. Mark, your location is safe on
0: Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>